0: Thank you for joining us for this podcast from Abundant Life. We pray that you will be blessed and encouraged by this word. Now, here's Pastor Scott. I want to read the scripture to you this morning, but before I do, I want to ask you to do something that may be difficult for some. I want you to pay attention. I'm going to ask you to do something that some may not even want to do. I want you to try to lock in and listen, believe this, that God is real, that you're here, by his command, and that he wants to say something to you today. Anytime you go to church, anytime you listen to gospel preaching or teaching, you need to believe that God is trying to say something to you. Too many times we get caught up thinking, oh, I wish my kids would have been here to hear that. Oh, I wish my spouse, I wish my cousin could have been here to hear that because that was just for them. That's the wrong mindset. Here's the right mindset. When somebody leaves saying, man, that word was just for me, and if you don't leave every teaching, preaching service here or anywhere else you go, believing that that word was just for you, let me say this to you. It wasn't the preacher's fault. <laughs> Y'all don't like that part because you know whose fault it had to be. And nobody wants it to be their fault. But listen, the same message, I'm going to preach one message this morning. I'm going to preach it one way. I'm going to say the same thing in your hearing that the people around you are going to hear. Some people are going to be blessed and encouraged, and other people are going to be, eh, if you leave, mm, it's because you weren't hungry and you weren't listening and you didn't have a desire that God could fulfill. And I want you to be hungry this morning, and I want you to let God speak to you. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1, listen to what the word says. Now, dear brothers and sisters, regarding your question about the special abilities the Spirit gives us, I don't want you to misunderstand this. You know that when you were still pagans, you were led astray and swept along in worshiping speechless idols. So I want you to know that no one speaking by the Spirit of God will curse Jesus, and no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Listen to verse 4. There are different kinds of spiritual gifts, but the same Spirit is the source of them all. There are different kinds of service, but we serve the same Lord. God works in different ways, but it's the same God who does the work in all of us. A spiritual gift is given to each of us so we can help each other. I want to preach to you this morning from a sermon titled, Are you using your spiritual gift? We don't have any notes on the screen today? Y'all didn't see any, any other verses? Faith come by hearing. Hallelujah. Are you using your spiritual gift? Pray with me. God, thank you for this time together. Thank you for your word. Father, I pray that you would strengthen my body now and anoint my mouth and my mind to teach sound doctrine. Teach us what you'd have us to know, God, today is my prayer. Help us, Lord, to be willing receivers of your word. Father, I pray that you would infuse us with hope, with power in your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Are you using your spiritual gift? I want to talk to you this morning about spiritual gifts, and I believe that this is the most misunderstood topic in all of the body of Christ. The body of Christ is divided more on spiritual gifts than it is on any other topic inside the church, and specifically one spiritual gift. Anybody know what one spiritual gift divides the church more than any other? Speaking in tongues. Everywhere I go, I have people, when I preach around the country, I have people ask me, do you speak in tongues? I've never had anybody ask me, do you pay the tithe? <laughs> I meet preachers, and they want to know. And here's how they say it, to, you know, try to hide their, their, their judgmentalism. Are you full gospel? Am my full gospel, I mean, is there like a three-fourths gospel, a seven-eighths? Can I get a 13th, 16th gospel? And that's what they, they never asked. Do you read your Bible? Never had another preacher ask me, Do I read my Bible every day? But I've had over a thousand preachers ask me, Do I speak in tongues? I've never had anybody ask me, Do I have a personal prayer time? But I've had hundreds of preachers ask me, Do I have an unknown prayer language? I've never had anybody ask me, Do I believe in living holy? But I've had so many people ask me, What do I think about speaking in tongues? I'll tell you what I think about speaking in tongues. I think about speaking in tongues the same thing I think about every other gift in the Bible. God gave us gifts, and we need to be using them. All right, let's keep moving. Uh, spiritual gifts, though, is, is such a hot-button issue. Listen, I want you to know this. It shouldn't be. There are only a handful of verses in the Bible that even talk about spiritual gifts. But there's 1,189 chapters in the Bible that talk about how great God is and how much we should love Him. Mm, I'm going to keep... Go listen, definition of spiritual gifts. It's a supernatural ability given, we still don't have notes. We're just out, out of gas. Spiritual gift, listen, a supernatural ability given by the Holy Ghost to each believer. A supernatural ability. A supernatural ability. What kind of ability? A supernatural. This is not a natural, it's beyond natural. It's a supernatural ability given by the Holy Ghost to each believer. Now, if you've attended our new members class, you've heard some of this information before, but I'm going to expand and expound on it today. It's a supernatural gift given by the Holy Ghost to every Christian. So here's the question. We we just had a lot of people up here, and they would all tell you they were using their gift to sing today. Or they were using their gift to play today. So I want to ask you this. Is singing a spiritual gift? No. Is playing an instrument a spiritual gift? No. Aaron Duckworth can run a football better than most human beings on the planet, and that's why he's a Division I scholarship athlete about to dominate and have the best year of his life this year. And people would say, that young man just got a gift for football. Is running a football a spiritual gift? No, it's not. These are natural abilities. Musicianship, singing, these are natural abilities that you can instill. Now, some people have from birth, they have a greater proclivity to athleticism, or they have a greater proclivity to musicianship. But it's not a spiritual gift. You see, if it's not talked about in Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, Ephesians 4, or 1 Peter 4, it's not a spiritual gift. All the spiritual gifts are laid out in these four different sections of the Bible, and anything on top of that, he just got a spiritual gift for counseling. Counseling is not a spiritual gift. It's a needed ability. It's a ministry, but it doesn't fall into a spiritual gift. Listen, we don't get to decide what spiritual gifts are. The Bible does. And we got to stay with the Bible because we're a Bible church. Well, I wish we had notes this morning so you could see some of this stuff. The purpose of spiritual gifts is not to divide the church. The purpose of spiritual gifts is not to make you feel better than somebody else. The purpose of spiritual gifts is not so you can play with your gifts in front of people and flaunt them and say, look what I can do. The purpose of spiritual gifts is to glorify God and to strengthen each other to glorify God and to strengthen each other inside the Lord's church. Now, some people would tell you, if I went around the room right now and I asked people, we need some air on in here. I didn't ask that, but I need to tell somebody that. Let's get some AC on in this place. Deacon Scott's got it. Deacon Henry, you. The per- if I went around the room and asked, what is your spiritual gift? Some people would say stuff that ain't a spiritual gift. Well, my spiritual gift is cutting grass. My spiritual gift is church maintenance. Now, these are necessary things, especially in the life of a church, but they're not spiritual gifts. Some people, though, would say, and, and I would dare say many in this room right now would say, well, Pastor, I don't really have a spiritual gift. I'm just me. I, but that's not true. Or some people, because everybody has a spiritual gift, some people more, might more rightly say, I don't know what my spiritual gift is. Listen, you can, the title of the message is, Are You Using Your Spiritual Gift? you got to know what your spiritual gift is, to use it. And here's the good news for you today. Every Christian has at least one spiritual gift. Hey, let's don't worry about those notes. Can we just at least put Scripture on the screen, or is the screen not working at all? All right, let's put up 1 Corinthians chapter, seven, chapter 12, verse 7, because I need people to see something. Put that up in the New Living Translation. 1 Corinthians 12, 7. We're having technical difficulty, y'all. All right, here we go. This is the good news for everybody. A spiritual gift is given to each of us so we can help each other. A spiritual gift is given to, listen, each of us. Do you know what that means? Everybody has a spiritual gift. Let me say it to you in a different way. Move on this side of the room. Everybody got a spiritual gift. Are you following me? Everybody has a spiritual gift. Every Christian has a spiritual gift. When it says us, when the Bible says us and we, it's usually talking to who? If it says they and them, it's usually talking to who? Is this a us or a them? This is a us. Each of us has been given a spiritual gift. So I want you to know whether you know what it is or not. If you claim the name of Jesus Christ today, if you call yourself a Christian, you have a spiritual gift, and you need to discover what that spiritual gift is, and you need to get busy using it. You see, here's where people get frustrated in church. Here's where people get frustrated in ministry. They get frustrated when they're coming to church but not using their spiritual gift because church becomes religion, and religion is boring. Church just becomes something to clutter up your calendar, and it just is like, "Mm, I could take it. Or leave it. If you're not using, if you don't know what your spiritual gift is and you're not using it, then church is just ho-hum. But I told you spiritual gifts are supernatural. And ain't nothing more fun than supernatural. Church is just, church can be very normal. And some people come to church and it's boring and it's routine. That's just natural. Other people come to church and they operate in their spiritual gift. They operate in doing what God has wired them up to do. And they love it and they're excited by it. And you need to believe, first of all, that the word of God is true. God said he's elevated his word above his name. And the Bible says that a spiritual gift is given to each of us so that we can help each other. Now, I'm not going to debate it with you, uh, and we're not going to argue about it, but just just so you can think and you want to shout out loud, you can do that too. How many spiritual gifts would you think there are according to the word? You're thinking. You don't want to answer out loud because you don't want to be wrong. I don't blame you. I ain't mad at that at all. I've heard preachers say, I heard one preacher on the radio, and that's why I don't listen to radio preaching anymore. I heard one preacher on the radio say, there are nine spiritual gifts and I got them all. Well, you don't have humility. That's not a spiritual gift, but it is a virtue. But there's not nine. He was talking about the fruit of the Spirit, and that's not spiritual gifts at all because I already told you there's only four places in all the Bible that list the spiritual gifts. And if it's not found in Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, Ephesians 4, or 1 Peter 4, it's not a spiritual gift. And that list in Galatians is not a spiritual gift. It's a list of what the Spirit looks like, the fruit of the Spirit. But... Let me tell you what I believe, and I believe I am telling you what the Bible says. There are 20, say 20, or just loosen up and say 20 because that's easier to say. 20 spiritual gifts, and they're divided into different categories, and we'll talk about that in a minute. But I want to give you some things to think about before we go into the explanation this morning. Number one, you don't pick your spiritual gift. You don't pick your spiritual gift. There are people out there praying for spiritual gifts, and, and that's to no avail because the Bible says you don't pick your spiritual gift. You don't have any input in your spiritual gift. Listen to what the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 12, 11. Can we get that, 1 Corinthians 12, 11. It is the one and only Spirit who distributes all these gifts. He alone decides which gift each person should have. Now, you don't have to have a degree in theology, which I do. You don't have to be an expert in Hebrew and Greek, which I know a little Hebrew and a little Greek, but you don't have to have a great depth of Bible knowledge to understand this second sentence. He alone decides which gift each person should have. First first half of the verse says, it's the Holy Spirit who distributes all these gifts. He alone, talking about the Holy Spirit, decides which gift each person should have. So who decides which gift each person should have? The person or the Holy Ghost? The Holy Ghost alone decides. You have no input on what your spiritual gift is. God gave you a spiritual gift from birth. Which he knew when you would become a Christian would already be in you. It would have been nurtured by your wiring and your upbringing and your experiences throughout your whole life so that you could use this spiritual gift in the fullness of time to glorify God and to build up the church. Listen, stop praying for different gifts. You don't get a vote. You don't get a say. That's like if I'm going to buy you a Christmas gift, you can tell me all day long what you want. Uh, I, Pastor, I would like a yellow Lamborghini with a V12 engine. Well, you can say that all you want. Seth spend his own money at the ministry fair, bring home a poster of a Lamborghini. Dad, for my first car, I'd rather have, I, I think I'd like either a Bentley or a Rolls Royce. Now, he's told me that a hundred times. How many people believe I'm going to buy him a Bentley or a Rolls Royce? Listen, if you believe I'm going to buy him a Bentley or a Rolls Royce for his first car, stand on your head and bark like a chicken. (laughs) No? Okay, good. Everybody's thinking this morning. The person giving the gift decides what gift they're going to give. And the Holy Ghost decides what gift each person should have. Listen, everybody's got one, but you don't get to pick your gift Second thing I want you to understand all Christians are equally important to the body regardless of their gift. Some people believe that different Christians are more important than others and listen, the people behind the pulpit have have propagated this falseness. They 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 have taught this lie that the ones that are up front leading the charge are more important, that the worshipers are out front because they, they set the tone and the ministers are out front because they're the ones that God has anointed. Listen, people standing up on pulpits and platforms aren't the only ones God has anointed. No, y'all not hearing me. I like the way one, one person said it. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. There are no big I's and little U's. The, 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 the preaching gift is not any more important than the gift that would enable you to push a vacuum cleaner. Mm, y'all not helping me. People want to elevate certain gifts and, and, and downplay other gifts, but that's not how it is. All gifts are necessary. Say necessary. And if you read 1 Corinthians chapter 12 from 22 to the end of the chapter, you'll find out that that God has a purpose for every gift, and no one gift is viewed as greater than the other, and nobody has every gift. Listen to 1 Corinthians 12, 29, and 30. here's, Here's some rhetorical questions. Anybody know what a rhetorical question is? It's a question that doesn't need an answer. It's a question where the answer is already known, And implied, are we all apostles? Now, in some churches, people be like, yeah, no, and thank God. Are we all prophets? Of course not. Are we all teachers? Do we all have the power to do miracles? Now, some people will tell you this. Some people in some denominations will tell you that these gifts are available to everybody and that we all should be operating in these gifts. I don't want you to believe what preachers say, including me. I want you to believe what the Bible says. The Bible talked about a group of people uh, called Bereans, and God said they were more noble than everybody else because they examined the Scriptures for themselves to see what the truth was. They just didn't swallow what was being shoveled to them, and we need to examine the Scriptures for ourselves. Look at verse 30. After asking all these rhetorical questions, the Bible says this. Do we all have the gift of healing? Do we all have the ability to speak in unknown languages? Do we all have the ability to interpret unknown languages? What? Of course not. Ooh. Oh. Oh. That just blew up half the church. That just blew up half the denominations on the plane. Y'all mad at me? Y'all grabbing purses and getting ready to leave. Listen, don't hate the mailman if your JEA bill was higher this month. He didn't have nothing to do with it. I'm mad at the mailman, Pastor Scott. Why? Because my light bill was twice as high this month. He brought me that light bill and it was awful. He's just the messenger you the one responsible for the labor. Listen, don't get mad at me. Walk out on me. God said, do do we have all these abilities? Of course not. We do not. And everybody was not determined or, or, or purposed by God to have all these abilities. We get a gift given to us determined by who? The Holy Ghost. Stomp your feet and bounce up and down all you want to and want all these different things. But the Bible says, do we all have all this? Of course not. But we have something. Say something. And you need to figure out what your something is because all Christians are equally important to the body of Christ regardless of their gift. Every gift is just as important as the other gift. See, we, we, one of the reasons I don't give gifts to my kids at Christmas, oh, come back, I'll teach that to you this winter. One of the reasons I don't is because I've watched what it's done to society. Well, let me tell you why, because some of y'all are bent like, oh, what a Scrooge. Now, I give gifts all year long, but I believe that if we're going to say Christmas is about recognizing the birth of Christ, we should give our gifts to Jesus and not each other. That's a different message. I understand that's not popular for everybody. But I've seen as a child and now as a father and an adult, I've seen how kids do Christmas. They go back to school and they want to know what? What did what'd your, what'd your parents get you? What'd you what'd you get for Christmas? What'd you get for Christmas? What'd you get? Calling each other, texting each other, what'd you get for Christmas? What'd you get for Christmas? And if one child got a big gift and another child got a small gift, they automatically assume in their mind, oh well, my parents love me more than your parents must love you because they bought me a car and all they bought you was some back-to-school clothes. Listen, the gift does not determine how much you are loved. The gift is determined by the person who gives it and they give you what they think you need to have and no one gift is bigger or better than the other gift, so you shouldn't feel exalted because you have a certain spiritual gift, and you shouldn't feel debased because you have a certain spiritual gift. You should be thankful that God didn't leave you out. You should be thankful that God remembered to give you a gift at all, and the Bible says that we all have a spiritual gift. So, first thing to think about, you don't pick your gift. Second thing to remember, Every gift's equally important. And the third thing, you can't use your gift if you don't know what it is. You can't use your spiritual gift if you don't know what it is. Now, I want you to think real clear. If I walk up to you right now and I put this microphone in your face and I say, what is your spiritual gift? In front of 200 people in this room, you're about to have to either say, I don't know, or say something that may or may not be true, or you're going to know, and you're going to be asked immediately after that, are you using it? You can't use your gift unless you know what it is. I told you just a moment ago that gifts are divided into four different categories in the Bible. There are seven gifts that theologians call motivational gifts. Four manifestation gifts, four miracle gifts, and five ministry gifts. I'll teach you real quick the five ministry gifts because they're the fastest ones to learn. In Ephesians chapter 4, the Bible talks about five ministry gifts. Now, these are also called offices because a ministry gift is an office that a person is called into, and they're empowered to work inside this office. In Ephesians chapter 4, it talks about apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. I can show you that and teach you the fivefold ministry gifts easy just by using my hand or any other normal hand in the building. Okay, apostles represented by the thumb because the thumb is the only digit on your hand that can cover and hold down the other four digits. The apostle is the governing, the overseeing gift, the the authority gift that sets order and rule. The prophet is represented by the pointer finger, because the prophet is the one that comes out and says, you're wrong, and that's not right, and you better get right or get left. The third finger represents the evangelist, which on a normal hand is the furthest reaching finger. Now, if your middle finger's not the longest finger on your hand, you got issues. Keep it in your pocket or wear a glove. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Apostle, prophet, evangelist, the fourth ministry, uh, the, the fourth ministry gift is pastor. That's represented by the ring finger because the pastor is the one that stays. The pastor is the covenant gift. The pastor is the gift of love that stays from birth to death. That's the hard one, say hard one. And the fifth ministry gift is represented by the pinky finger. That is the teacher. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Why why the pinky finger? Well, because some folk are sadidi, especially Europeans, and when they drink tea, they do it like this. Why? Because that balances out the cup. The teaching gift is brought for balance. Now, those are the five ministry gifts. Today, I want to concentrate on the seven motivational gifts because a motivational gift is something that everyone has. When the Bible says that a gift is given to every believer, it's talking specifically about one of these seven motivational gifts. A motivational gift is how you're wired up. It's it's something that God has given you that speaks to who you are. You are. It should not be hard if you got one good eye and roadwalking sense. If you can chew gum and half-walk at the same time, you should be able to identify with one of these seven gifts I'm about to give you. Listen to them. Prophecy, teaching, ruling, exhortation, ministry, giving, and mercy. These seven gifts are defined by theologians as motivation. This is what motivates you to be who you are. This is how God wired you up. This is who God puts you on this earth to be prophecy, teaching, ruling, exhortation, ministry, giving, and mercy. You need to find out which one of these is your motivation gift, and you need to let it motivate you to glorify God and to serve the body. See, because if you try to get involved in serving God, but you do it in the wrong area, it's going to be rough. It's going to be hard on you. If you get in the wrong groove, you're not going to enjoy it. I've used this as an illustration before. I'll use it again. Every location we have been at as a church, we have either started from scratch or gutted a place out and built it back up from nothing. We had had a five-year lease on a building on Blanding Boulevard, the old sticks and stuff, 40,000-square-foot warehouse. We gutted it out and built it. Into a church, thousand seat sanctuary, did a beautiful job. We were working on it day and night. We did most of the work in-house. Every day, men and women would get off work, drive straight to church. We'd have chili or pizza, people would bring by spaghetti. We would eat while we worked, and we worked early into early in the morning, turn around the next day, and do it all over again. Well, people were bringing children. So somebody had to watch the kids, but we didn't have time to watch kids because we were doing construction. So we kind of watched them to try to keep them safe. Well, one night it got out of hand, and we didn't have any of our children church workers up there. We didn't have any of our people who were gifted to do that type of work. So, you know, when nobody's available to do it, somebody has to do it. And, and every now and then you have to pitch in in an area that's not your strength. Listen, it could be said that working with children is not my strength, but I gets it done. <laughs> After about two hours of telling people, you got—we're digging trenches here with, with heavy equipment. We're making a mess over here, and this is dangerous. And y'all got to keep these children out of this area where all this machinery and kids running through, jumping in and out of the trenches. We were digging, throwing concrete dust everywhere. I finally told somebody, I told Amber, gather all those children up, and set them on that wall. And I walked over and I said, "Look, now I'm in charge of all you kids tonight, and I want you." And I told them, "Sit on that wall and don't move. Don't move. Hush. Sit there. Tell and." No duct tape required. <laughs> didn't use any handcuffs. No electrical cords, nothing. They sat there, and they were quiet, but guess what? It didn't edify them. It didn't encourage them. It didn't strengthen them, and it didn't build them up. Why? Because that's not my, that's not my I'm operating outside my gifting at this point. I've been places where they serve a meal for the visiting speaker, right? They're like, Pastor God, we just like to bless you. With lunch, and I'm thinking, oh man, I hope this is good because you know I can just go on and eat somewhere. But they usher me into a green room, and I've had some places where there were people who were very gifted in the area of ministry, and they just know how to serve, and, and they just lo- and, and it's a pleasure and it's a blessing to be around people like that. I've also been in places where people were like, slam the food down in front of you. And you go to ask them a question about it, and their their attitude is like, just be glad for what you got, man. I ain't got time to be about bringing you no extra salt. It's good enough. That's not someone operating in their gift. That's someone miserable. And in churches all across America, there are people serving in the wrong ministry. And that's why we don't mandate anybody take a turn in our nursery. Now, all of our nursery workers have asked me throughout the years, Pastor, could you start making some of these lazy parents watch their own kids once every quarter? Because the church I used to, and they always tell me, and it's the same way with me. The church I used to be at made everybody who used the nursery take a turn in the nursery. Well, that sounds reasonable. That sounds okay. You drop your kid off in the nursery. People watch your kid all year long. You could take one turn a year, one turn every six months, one turn a quarter, but we don't do that at Abundant Life. Why? Why? Because I don't want mean people watching babies. Hey, just because you're a parent don't make you nice. And just because you had a kid don't mean you like kids. <laughs> that is real. And I don't want to mandate or force people to do something that they may not have a desire or a strength to do. You say, well, you're just going to make us watch them all year long by ourselves? But thank God God gave you the strength. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You need to operate in your gift. Say, my gift. That's when life will become fun. If you're not operating in your gift, then you're not doing what God has called you to do, and life's not going to be fun for you. If you're operating in the wrong ministry, you can do that for a while, but it's going to become boring, and it's going to become irritating, and it's going to be not fun for you. So today, I want to help determine everybody's motivational gift. I, I believe that everyone who's saved wants to live a meaningful life for Christ. I believe if you're truly born again, you want your life to count for God's kingdom. And we will only find personal fulfillment by developing our spiritual gift and operating inside the gift in the ministry that God has assigned for us. When we use our spiritual gift, it brings significance into our life. It brings purpose. We walk in God's divine plan for our life. Listen, God, this is weird, but it's true. God left all the work in his kingdom to be done up to us. Now, what if God himself did all of the preaching? That would be better. Say better. What if God just showed up and preached in every pulpit in America today? It'd be better preaching. What if God just showed up and worked in every children's church today? It'd be better children's church. What if God showed up and took every offering, deeked every deek, ushed every ush, greeted every greet? It would all be better. But God didn't leave that to himself to do. He left that to us. He said he is the head and we're the body. He is the head, we're the hands, and we're the feet. We're the ones, listen, imperfect us. Flawed and messed up, jacked up, tore up from the floor, us. We're the ones that God has gifted and empowered to do his work. So we've got to get busy about it. And every Christian has at least one motivational gift. Listen to what the Bible says in Romans chapter 12, verse 4. Just as our body have many parts, each part has a special function. Now the scripture remember, the scripture is calling the church. Now the church is used in two different concepts in the Bible. When the Bible says "church," sometimes it's talking about a local group of people. We are a church. We're a local group of believers that gather together for fellowship, discipleship, encouragement, ministry. But usually when it talks about the word "church," it's talking about the worldwide church, all believers everywhere together. God says that the church is the body. He's the head, and we're the body. And just as our physical bodies have many parts, each part has a special function. Look at verse 5. So it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body, and we all belong to each other. If we could get this down, if we could get this simple theology down, we'd love each other better, we'd argue less, we'd cure racism, we'd cure bigotry, we cure a lot of different things just by understanding this simple scripture that we are many parts, but one body. We are many parts, but we all belong to each other. I heard somebody say one of my favorite ghettoism. I, I heard it yesterday in Popeye's. Man, man walked by and, other, uh, and his friend was saying something to him and he said, I ain't studying them. I love that. Well, I love it because people want me to explain it every time. I, he said, I ain't studying them. He wasn't fazed by none of them. He wasn't studying them. He wasn't studying them at all. Why? Because he feels like them have nothing to do with him. And I want to tell you this. If you claim the name of Jesus, we have everything to do with each other. You're not alone, and you're not on it by yourself. And you got to quit thinking, well, I ain't hurting nobody but me. We're all part of the same body. And if you're not functioning properly, you're messing up the whole thing. We're all spokes in the same wheel. And if you are the weak link in the chain, you are messing up the chain, and we all belong to each other. We have a responsibility to function together because we are all one body. Verse 6 says, In His grace, God has given us different gifts. Who gave us different gifts? God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. So if God has given you the ability to prophesy, now these seven gifts are in here. Watch them as I read them. The ability to prophesy, speak out with as much faith as God has given you. If your gift is serving others, serve them well. If you're a teacher, teach well. If your gift is to encourage others, be encouraging. If it is giving, give generously. If God has given you leadership ability, take the responsibility seriously. And if you have a gift for showing kindness to others, do it gladly. Those are the seven motivational gifts that we're going to talk about this morning. Verse 9 goes on to say, don't just pretend to love others, really love them. No matter how much you claim, oh, Pastor, I just love everybody. If you don't know what your spiritual gift is and you're not using it for God's glory, then you're not properly loving each other. You're not properly loving other people. You're just pretending to love them. The Bible says don't pretend to love them. Really love them in the context of using your spiritual gift. Then it goes on to say four words in the middle of this screen, and this is something that the church needs to get involved with. Hate what is wrong. That's so unpopular today. Well, we're just supposed to love everything and love everybody. We're just supposed to accept everything, and we just should be tolerant and inclusive, and we should just do us and let them do them. That's what's got the church and this country all jacked up to begin with, this false idea. Listen, Christianity is not a religion of tolerance. Christianity is not an all-inclusive religion. Christianity is not a religion of just loving everything and everybody and letting everybody do them. Christianity is a religion that is given to a small group of people called the elect. The Bible calls it a remnant. It's a small piece plucked out of a large piece, and Jesus said there's only one way to heaven. Now, if you put Jesus on camera today, he would be called by today's politically correct crowd the most racist, bigoted man to ever live. When the Syrophoenician woman came to him begging him for help, he said, woman, get away from me. You're not of my people, and I came to help the Jews. (gasps) That's the Jesus of the Bible? That's the Jesus of the Bible. When the Pharisees came to Jesus to ask him questions about theology, he said, I won't even pray for you because you're not of my sheep. You have your father, the devil, and all you want to do is what he wants you to do. I pray for those who are in my flock, not for you and your kind. Oh, doesn't that sound like bigotry? Doesn't that sound like, doesn't sound like open-minded tolerance? Jesus said, I'm the only way to heaven. Nobody can come to the Father except by me. Jesus said, if anybody tries to get to God other than through me, he's a thief and a liar. Oh. We're supposed to love everybody. We're supposed to just accept everything. No, until the church begins to hate what is wrong, we will continue to spiral down as a nation, and we will continue to spiral down as the church. I'm going to keep going because y'all looking at me like I'm crazy, and I'm just telling you the truth. Hold tightly to what is good. It's another thing the church has let go of. Well, I guess we'll just let them have their way because, you know, got to pick our battles wisely. No sense in fussing and fuming. They're going to do what they're going to do, so we just, we just let that go. Oh, I'm trying to let y'all get out of here early. Listen, don't flood my email with stuff I'm not going to read anyway. But I'm seriously praying right now about whether I'm ever going to let my children go back to school in this country. Because the federal government has taken the rights away from the state progressively over the last eight years, become bigger government, bigger government, bigger government, and they are saying right now that all schools in America next year will have to let boys and girls share the same bathroom, listen, and showers. And the federal government, led by our president, is saying that any school that bucks this policy will have all funding taken away from them and we will shut down the educational system in their state. Texas and North Carolina, the only two people even questioning it right now. Listen, I do not want my children, my sons, I don't want my sons in the girls' bathroom. You do what you got to do, but I, I got common sense. I, I, don't, I don't need a pastor, a preacher, a bishop, a pope to tell me whether it's right or wrong for my boys to go in a bathroom with little girls. That ain't happening, and I'm not having my boys shower or be showered with in no room full of little girls. So this is what's happening. Why? Because the church refused to hate what is wrong, and the church refused to hold tightly to what is good. No sense in arguing with them, preachers. They're going to have their way anyhow. We just, but we just love them. It, it, no, we need to learn how to hold on to what is good. Let me keep getting back to these gifts. Y'all looking at me like I'm, I don't know what I'm saying. Verse 10, love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. Verse 11 says this, never be lazy but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. This is a verse that most Christians gloss over and and try to get away from. Never be lazy. Now, God has inspired the Apostle Paul to write this verse to the Christians in Rome. And he's talking to Christians. Why would God need to tell Christians not to be lazy? Because we can be. Stop thinking that because you got saved, you don't have no more problems. It just blows me away when somebody says, I thought she was supposed to be saved. How can she do that as saved? How can you do that as saved? (laughs) Ain't no way he's a Christian because I heard he did X, X, Y, and Z. Well, you did X, Y, and Z and you call yourself a Christian. What's up? Don't be late. We have natural inclinations that are not always godly. And one of them is laziness. And God says, never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. Listen, if they don't come up with some type of award and some type of way to make money for working thumbs fast, this generation of children's out of gas. They can't change oil on a car, they can't change a tire. They can't work on their own house. They can't work on a lawnmower. They can't string a string trimmer. They can't change the blade on a stick edger. What can they do? Listen, your teenager might not admit it, but they probably, unless you've been on them hard, can text with their phone in their pocket without ever even looking at it. You say, that don't exist. Let me just ask, don't lie, you're in church. Does anybody know of any person in the world that ever claimed they could, or you know you can, text on your phone without looking at it? Anybody? All right. See? That, you can't make money doing that. That's not working hard. Then you got too much time on your phone at that point. My kids and I eat out every night. As a single dad, I don't cook. Well, I do cook a good bowl of spaghetti. I mean, uh, no, uh, uh, spaghetti. I said that. That was something else. I cook a good bowl of cereal. And when you, if you need a good hot meal, I, I, I'm, to, I'm to die for on Pop-Tarts, all right? Outside of and guess what we have in our house? Cereal and Pop-Tarts. Listen, outside of that, we eat out. We eat out every day in my house, and here's what we see all the time. Everybody at the table on their phone. Start looking around at restaurants. Dude and this chick on a date, both of them like this. Why y'all even need to be together? Bruh, save the money. Make her go play with her phone by herself. I wouldn't buy nobody a meal. What? Nothing. Work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. Listen, you can't serve the Lord enthusiastically if you're not serving him at all. To serve him enthusiastically says you got to be serving him to begin with. And if I came by your chair this morning and put the microphone in your face and said, how do you serve the Lord in this community? How do you serve the Lord in this church? How do you serve the Lord with your life? Well, I come to church. You come to church for you. You come to church keep you straight. You come to church because safe folk love church. Let me keep going. Serve the Lord enthusiastically. Let me give you these seven gifts. I'm going to give you a quick definition of them, and then I want to talk to you about how you can know if that's you. You need to find you. Say me. I want you to find you in this today. Now, the first gift we talked about in the Scripture, none of these are more important than others. This is just a list. Say list. It's not top to bottom. It's not best to worst. It's just a list. Prophecy. Here's what prophecy is. Proclaiming God's word. It's the supernatural ability to speak with forthrightness and insight. To demonstrate moral boldness and uncompromising commitment to moral values. This is probably the least given gift of all seven. And that's by God's design. Because you know who the, the hardest people in the body of Christ to be around is? Prophets. See, a prophet is not someone who can tell the future. A prophet is not somebody who looks into the future and tells you what's going on. A prophet is somebody who tells you what God says. That that other thing is a fortune teller. Prophecy and fortune telling have nothing to do with each other. But uh, the, the gift of prophecy is a supernatural ability that allows you to comfort, encourage, guide, warn, rebuke, and strengthen the body of Christ, and it's always concerned with three things. It's always concerned with evangelism, holiness, and revival. You want to find out if you have the gift of prophecy? Listen, A, you probably don't because there are very few people with the gift of prophecy, and that's God's comfort to the rest of us. You don't want that person around all the time because they're going to be in your business all the time. They're going to be checking you and double-checking you. They're going to be in your face all the time. You're going to be like, "Uh, don't don't bring him over. He's killing my high. And he will. Always concerned with evangelism, holiness, and revival. It's someone with a strong desire to speak out boldly and directly against evil in our society. These are people with a backbone. This is somebody who's willing to speak forth the mind and the counsel of God. The motivation for this person is to reveal unrighteous motives or actions by presenting God's clear truth. Let me give you a biblical example of a prophet. Peter had the gift of prophecy. Listen, if you have this gift, you're going to need a strong backbone because you're often going to stand by yourself against people. If you have this gift, you're going to be the most hated person in your family. If you have this gift, people are going to stand against you because they don't like what you say. If you have this gift, people are going to accuse you of thinking that you're something that you're not when really they're just mad at you because you're more than they are. Mm. These are people who stand up for the truth regardless of the cost. Everybody with this gift makes a bold stand against unrighteousness, and they operate as the very mouthpiece of God, declaring judgment and calling for repentance. One of the greatest books about prophecy, one of the greatest books about revival Is a book written by a man named Leonard Ravenhill, and it's called America's Too Young to Die. This book was written in 1979. I had the privilege of talking to this man. Um, He's an incredible, incredible man, a brilliant, uh, godly, wonderful man. Uh, People didn't like what he had to say because they always said it was hard, and he was up in people's business, but somebody's got to be. I want to read you just half a page uh, out of his book, Chapter 2 is titled, The Picture of a Prophet. And if this is you, you're going to see yourself in this, or you're going to see somebody you know that fits this gift of having. Now, see, a prophet is not somebody who says, I want to prophesy to y'all this morning. I, mm, yeah, Hallelujah. Right, oh, over in this section right here, God said there's somebody over here struggling with intimacy. Mm, yes, Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. You've been hurt by a man. Mm, mm, yeah. Mm, mm. You've been wounded. A man did you wrong. Mm, ah, and you're struggling with intimacy and it's affecting all your relationships. God said, be healed. Mm-hmm. Over here. I prophesy, uh, because I have the gift of prophecy. is somebody right over here in this area. You've been struggling with some back pain for years. Listen, if there's a woman in the room, she's been hurt by a man. And if there's two people in the room, somebody got a bad back. That's the bottom line. That's not what prophecy is. That's scammery. That is con artistry. We can talk about it later, but listen listen to what Leonard Ravenhill said. He said, the prophet comes to set up that which is upset. His work is to call into line those who are out of line. You think anybody likes this dude? (laughs) This is what his job is. He's unpopular because he opposes the popular in morality and spirituality. In the day of faceless politicians and voiceless preachers, there's not a more urgent national need than when we cry to God for a real prophet. The function of the prophet has almost always been that of recovery. The prophet is God's detective seeking for lost spiritual treasures. The degree of his effectiveness is determined by the measure of his unpopularity. Listen, people say, well, Jesus loved everybody. Jesus said they all hated him. Jesus, Jesus had thousands of people coming for the fishes and the loaves, but when he died, he only had a handful of people still stuck around him. J- the church was at 120 when Jesus died. Everybody else was gone. And Jesus was the greatest prophet to ever live. He goes on to say compromise is not known to him. He has no price tags. He is totally otherworldly. He's unquestionably controversial and unpardonably hostile. He marches to another drummer. He breathes rarefied air of inspiration. He's a seer who comes to lead the blind. He lives in, now listen, if you really have the gift of prophecy, you think all these things about yourself, crazy as it might sound. He is a seer who comes to lead the blind. He lives in the heights with God and descends into the valley of men with thus saith the Lord. He shares some of the foreknowledge of God, and he is always aware of impending judgment. He lives in splendid isolation. He is forthright and outright, but claims no birthright. His message is repent and be reconciled to God or else. His truth brings torment, but his voice is never void. He's the villain of today and the hero of tomorrow. He's excommunicated while alive, but exalted when dead. He's the schoolmaster that brings us to Christ, but few make the grade in his class. He is friendless while living, but famous when dead. He stands against the establishment in ministry, then he is established as a saint by posterity. Daily he eats the bread of affliction while he ministers, but he feeds the bread of life to those who are willing to listen to his hard voice. He walks before men for days because he has walked before God for years. He is a scourge to the nation before he is scourged by the nation. He announces, pronounces, and denounces. He has a heart like a volcano, and his words are like a fire. God talks to him about men, and he talks to men about God. He carries the lamp of truth amongst heretics while he is lampooned by the same. He faces God before he faces men, but he's always self-effacing. He hides with God in the secret place, but he has nothing to hide in the marketplace. He's naturally sensitive, but supernaturally spiritual. He has passion, purpose, and pugnacity. He's ordained of God, but disdained by men. He went on to say, Our national need at this hour is not that the dollar recover its strength, or that we save face over the Watergate controversy, or that we find the answer to the ecology problem. Our greatest national need is that God send us real prophets. That is not somebody you want to be. And I'm not telling you what I heard. I'm telling you what I know. When you find out that you have this gift, you better be ready to stand alone and be opposed every day the rest of your life. You better be. So listen. I pray. Knowing that I can't pick my gifts from my children. But I said, God, please be merciful. Don't put two prophets in one house. We'd be announcing and pronouncing on each other. Okay? Let's move on to something more fun. Say fun. First gift, prophecy gift. If you're wired up that way, you know it. Listen, just because you're mean doesn't mean you got the gift of prophecy. That's what most people in the church would like to do. They're like, well, everybody hates me. I must be a prophet. No, you're just ignorant. You're just hard headed. You're just hard to get along with. If you don't have a really strong stand for revival and holiness and evangelism, if you're not out winning people to Christ and preaching against unrighteousness, that ain't you. You're just obnoxious, okay? So don't just think, well, my, my grandmama, she was mean and the devil, but she loved Jesus. She, no, that doesn't make you a prophet unless you have all that other stuff going on. Let's get to something fun ministry. Say ministry. This is also called the gift of serving or the gift of helps. This is the supernatural ability to render practical help in physical and spiritual matters. This is the most necessary gift in your home, in the church, and in the world today, the gift of ministry. There are more Christians that have the gift of ministry than any other gift of all these seven. This is the dominant gift. Why? Because of necessity. Ministry is meeting needs. And there are so many needs out there that God had to give a lot of people the gift of ministry. This is someone who serves, especially at the command of others. The reason, the motivation uh, for people who have this gift, what, what motivates them is their desire to show love by meeting practical needs. Do you know we got some people that have cleaned the church for years, and they just love cleaning the church? We got people who right now, if I said we need to take all these chairs, stack them up, and move them over to the B building, there are people who would do it while gritting their teeth. There are people who would walk out without picking up a chair, and then there were other people like, man, I live for this. I just love the opportunity to help. I'm just glad God gave me a strong back and a willing mind and and the health to get in there and do something. These are behind-the-scenes people that enjoy work. Listen, we need more people with the gift of ministry we knew more people who have the gift of ministry to admit that they have the gift of ministry everybody shouldn't want a microphone listen too many people inside the body of christ want a title without ever having worn a towel and anybody who has a title in the church had better worn a towel at some point listen i don't believe if you didn't clean bathrooms and wipe down urinals you're not qualified to preach the word of god Every real preacher should have had to clean toilets at one time in his life just to learn how to serve. And see, Jesus put a towel around him, and he served others. Okay, all leadership should be servant leadership, but everybody ought to have a desire to do ministry. If this is you, if this wires you up, you need to get involved in one of our areas, and this is what we're going to find out at the ministry fair. Which one of these ministries matches up to your motivational gift? The biblical example is Timothy. Timothy had the gift of service. If you've got this gift, you're a behind-the-scenes person who's willing to help lighten the load of others. See, some of y'all were like, you mean I ain't going to get no credit for it? You mean I'm going to come up here and, 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 and stack all these papers and do all this work and nobody's going to see me? What am I what going to get, a plaque? A, a pat on the back from the preacher? He's gonna call my name out in front of everybody. I've had people quit ministry because I recognized somebody else in the ministry but didn't recognize them. And it was in a it was in a in a ministry, it was in a service ministry. And I'm like, oh, you need your name called. Well, I think every now and then. <laughs> well, I don't think you have the gift of ministry. Because you're not a behind the scenes. You don't joyfully help others. Listen, I thank God for people that God has given the ability to joyfully render practical help in physical and in spiritual matters As this is your gift you're wired up this is who god puts you on the planet to be you need to find yourself the third gift is teaching say teaching this is a supernatural ability to communicate information that is relevant to the health and ministry of the church in such a way that others will learn and be edified let me say it to you an easier way if you have the spiritual gift of teaching when you teach others learn i know some people who are just eggheaded and like to hear their self talk, but it's, nobody's learning. If when you teach, other people don't learn, you just like the sound of your voice. If when you teach and other people don't learn, then, then you, just like, you just like to read and study because all teachers love to read, study, they love facts, they love charts, they love graphs, they love statistics, but if when you teach, others don't learn, you don't have the supernatural gift to teach you. I've had so many people come up to me over the 15 years of our church history and say, Pastor, I've learned more about the Bible in six months of being at Abundant Life than I learned in my whole life outside this church. Now, that's not as much a compliment to me as it is a condemnation on where you've been. Because what it tells me is the places you've been, you didn't have a a person with the gift of teaching in the pulpit. Because when teachers teach, people learn. If you love stats, information, charts, graphs, you may have the spiritual gift of teaching, Biblical example is Luke. He had the gift to teach, and people with this gift will stand before people and explain God's way in such a way that it produces change in the lives of the listeners, and, and, and it brings them to a closer walk with God. The fourth gift is exhortation. Say encourage. That's a more common word for the spiritual gift of exhortation. It's an encourager, the ability to deliver challenging words and encouraging words. And a person with this gift is the person who knows how to say the right thing at the right time. You need to have this person in your life. If you are this person, you need to show up more, and you need to use this gift more. This is the type of person who comes along when people are having a dark day and says something to lift them up. This is the type of person who knows how to not only challenge you, but to encourage you. If, if you've got this gift, the Apostle Paul had this gift. If you've got this gift. You're going to know how to verbally encourage encourage the backslider, help people that are troubled and discouraged. You're going to be sensitive and sympathetic to people who are suffering from illness, depression, addictions. This is somebody who is willing to get their hands dirty to help somebody else come up. See, the church was never designed just to give handouts, but the church is specifically designed uh, to give hand up. Everybody, we have so many people come to church. I need to church pay my light bill. What, do you go to church here? No, but that's what y'all supposed to do. We supposed to pay your light bill? What Bible did you read that in? Y'all supposed to be here to help somebody. Y'all ain't trying to help nobody. No, we're trying to help people do better. We're not here just to hand stuff to people, but we should be giving people a hand up to where they can stand on their own feet. And if you have the gift of exhortation, the gift of encouragement, you're one of those people that is helping other people do better through your actions and through your words. Necessary, much-needed gift in the world today. Why? Because the world's depressed. Why? Because people are struggling. Why? Because people have been told bad. They've been programmed bad. Somebody told them when they were a child they'd never be nothing. Somebody called them stupid when they were young and it stuck in their mind. Somebody told them they were no good and it shaped their esteem wrong. So God gives people the supernatural gift of exhortation to come along and say God loves you. It's to come along and say you do have purpose. You're here for a reason. If you have this gift, you need to get involved in using it. Fifth gift is giving. Say giving. This is the gift most people don't want because most people are cheap. Y'all sleep? Y'all don't hear me? Most people are tight. With money, so when they think about giving, they're like, mm-mm, I need me mine. i got to have what i got. I don't have time to be giving it away. That's going to have to be somebody else. Well, you don't rightly understand the supernatural gift of giving. Because let me tell you this, if God gives you the gift of giving, you're going to be rich. Or You're smiling now. That's a better thing. Giving. If you have the supernatural gift of giving, you have the ability to accumulate and give large sums of money. Why would God give People the gift of giving that are rich because they're the ones that got the money to give. So you may not be the type of person that wants to stack chairs when nobody's looking. You might not want to wash down urinals and not get a plaque for it. You might not want to have a microphone and do a lot of teaching and preaching. You might not be a very friendly person that wants to go around and say encouraging words, but God may have given you a couple of dollars, and that's your job to give. There were, there were people in the Bible whose whole purpose was defined as financing apostolic ministry. People gave to the ministry of Jesus. People gave to the ministry of the apostles. They didn't get their hands dirty in it because that wasn't their gifting, but giving was their gifting. Listen, you want to have this gift because it's going to enable you to accumulate large sums of money. Matthew had this gift. If you've got this gift, God's going to give you the ability to accumulate large sums of money so you can give it away. You say, Pastor, I'd I'd like to find out if I have this gift. Listen, if you're not already giving the tithe, you're never going to be able to get to the place where you can flow in this gift. There are a lot of people, hear me good, there are a lot of people with the gift of giving that aren't accumulating money. There are a lot of people with the gift of giving. They feel good about giving. They like giving. They want to be able to give. But because they won't, they've shut the flow off on their gift, so the money's not coming in for them to give it out. And it's never going to come in for you to give it out until you give it out. Well, if I get a raise, or if I had your money, I'd give more. No, you wouldn't. 10% to you is 10% to me. 10% to to me is 10% to a millionaire. 10% is 10%. Well, if I hit the lottery, I'd give it all. No, you wouldn't. You won't give a dime out of a dollar, but you think you're going to give millions? I remember when my wife passed away, I got the largest lump sum check I'd ever gotten through her life insurance. I don't know why they call it life insurance. It was, de- it was depressing to get it because it's more death insurance than anything else. But I had the largest sum of money handed to me in one check ever at any time in my life. And do you realize that I was so excited. I'm like, man, I'm about to give the biggest check to the church I've ever given. It's about to be awesome. I was excited for it. But do you realize when you start writing out five-digit checks plus a decimal point, two zeros behind it, a lot of people would choke on that pen. A lot of people be like, hmm, maybe I can, I'm going to give 3% of this because this is extra. I'm think I'm going to give 5%. God will honor that. God said give 10% of everything that comes into your house. Pastor, I got to pay on my, on my income tax return because I already paid taxes on that. 10% of everything that comes into your house. Pastor, I have to pay on birthday gifts 10% of everything that comes in your house. See, people are getting stiff right now. They don't like that. I already told you, I'm just a mailman. Take it up with God. It ain't the mailman's fault if your JEA bill is high. It ain't my fault because God told you to give 10% of everything. Well, tithing is Old Testament. Really, read Matthew 22. Jesus said you must tithe. Ah! Blowing up all these, well, tithing is Old Testament. Tithing is not Old Testament. Tithing is Bible. And some of you have the gift of giving where God would allow you to accumulate large sums of money so you could finance massive ministry. But you won't even get your foot in the water by paying the tithe. When God already promised that you could pay the tithe and he'd open heaven up over you and pour out a blessing on you so big that you can't receive it. Well, when you get a blessing so big that you can't receive it, you got to start giving it away. Like, my bank's full. bank told me I can't put no more money in it. Maxed out. I'm past the FDIC insurance level. They said, we can't insure. No more money for you. I've, I've fully funded my retirement. I got nowhere else. That you just got to start giving it away. Wow, that would be incredible. You, cannot, you can't get there until you start operating in it. And some of you have the gift of giving. You just won't let God bless you with those large sums of money because you won't be faithful over the little. And God said, if you be faithful over the little, he raised you up to be ruled over much you got to be faithful where you are. Sixth gift is ruling. Say ruling. This is also called leadership administration. This is the ability to organize, to promote people or projects, to stand before others and lead, to lead in such a way that people will follow you. Listen, we have a church administrator here who has a phenomenal gift of ruling, a phenomenal gift of organization. Listen, if you know how to dot the I's and cross the T's, if you know how to take a project from beginning to completion, if you know how to organize and administer, this is your gift, and you need to get involved with it. Listen, you are an office person. You you don't need to be stacking chairs. You don't need to have a microphone. You need to be organizing, leading, and administering projects and people. Nehemiah had this gift. That's why the city had laid in ruins for years. Nobody came along and fixed it. Why? Because they didn't have anybody with the gift of administration that was willing to step up until Nehemiah stepped up because he knew how to dot the I's and cross the T's. He knew how to tell people, you build this section of the wall. Read Nehemiah. You build this section of the wall. You build this section of the wall. You stand over there with a sword and a lamp. You put a sword in one hand, a shovel in the other hand, and he knew how to administer and organize. Many of you have the gift of leadership, administration, ruling. But if you're not using this gift, then you are hurting the body of Christ. Why? Because every gift is necessary. And this is why preachers say this all the time. Church folk don't half understand it. Everything you need is in the house. Everything you need is in the house. They're talking about inside the church is everything that is necessary. Everything that is necessary for our church to be effective in this community is in this church right now. Every one of these gifts is in this church right now. There's enough money. Listen, there's not enough money in the bank account right now to do everything that we're doing as a church. There's not enough money in the bank account to continue to fund all of these missionaries that we're funding around the world. There's not enough money in the bank account right now to expand our facility. But there's enough money in this room to get it done. We don't have enough people helping out on administration for our projects. Anytime we have a big event, anytime we have a bonfire chili cook-off, anytime we do something big, we have the same few people working around the clock two weeks leading up to that event, trying to pull everything together on their own. Why? Because no, no, not very many people are showing up to help. Anytime we have an event where we're a working church, somebody's going to move, somebody needs some help moving furniture, the same few people doing it all the time. Why? Because there's nobody else? No, there's other people with those gifts. They just won't step up. Your life would take on a greater meaning if you would step up. Your life would take on a greater purpose. More joy would flow in you because the Bible says that the kingdom of God is represented by righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. Now, a lot of people are truly saved, but they don't have any joy. Why? Because they're not serving in God's kingdom. They don't have any peace. Why? Because they're not serving in God's kingdom. They don't have righteousness because they're not serving in God's kingdom. The last motivational gift is mercy. And this is the ability to minister to the sick and the afflicted, to feel pain for those who are hurting. Every person who truly has the gift of prophecy also has the gift of mercy to balance them out, lest they be a serial killer or or end up in prison for all their days. Listen, every—that's humorous, but there's some truth to it. Every prophet, God-called prophet, has the gift of mercy, but not everybody who has the gift of mercy has the gift of prophecy. That's a deeper lesson for a deeper, deeper time. But if you have the ability to minister to sick and afflicted, if you can feel pain, if if you are sympathetic and empathetic, if you care about those who are hurting, you may well have the gift of mercy. If you can identify and bring comfort to those who are in distress, you may have the gift of mercy. John had the gift of mercy. If you have this gift, you're the type of person that feels compassion for individuals, Christians and non-Christians, who suffer distress, either physical, mental, or emotional. This type of compassion should manifest itself by you working with individuals in nursing homes, rehab centers, mental health clinics. Our inspirational care ministry, I think it's laid out in this thing this month. Let me see real quick, and I'll get you out of here. I know I saw something in here about inspirational care. Food and clothing, ministry inspirational care ministry our inspirational care ministry was created to provide compassion and caring support for services to meet the needs of our church family who are experiencing hardships this team ministers to the body in various ways visiting the ill elderly at home or in the hospital maintaining contact with and encouraging those who are unable to attend services due to illness personal crisis or transition comforting the bereaved if you have the gift of mercy you need to be working on our inspirational care ministry Because the last thing we need to do is to send some mean, hurried, rushed, angry person to go to some hospital and sit at the bedside of somebody who's hurting. And they don't know how to have real compassion. Why? Because that's not their spiritual gift. Here's what happens in churches, though. When people who are gifted to do it or wired up by God to do it don't do it, then you just got to grab whoever's willing to do it. And that's why you have people serving in food and clothing ministries. in in churches, they don't have the gift of mercy, they don't have any business being in there. You say, Well, you trying to tell me you don't want me working in there? That's exactly what I'm trying to tell you to do. Now wait till we replace you. But it is what it is. If it's if mercy is not your gift, you shouldn't be in inspirational care. What are you going to look like going to sit, sit beside some, some person who, who's in a mental ward? Get up. Snap up, man. Suck it up and get better. What's wrong with you? And I've been through worse than that. Maybe when I was nine years old, I, that ain't, that's not the gift of mercy. You take that person depressed and you made them suicidal. But too many people sitting in pews with the gift of mercy, not helping anybody, not ministering to anybody. If you know that it brings you joy to help people who are sick and who are hurting, you need to be working in our inspirational care ministry. Every one of the ministries you're going to see next Sunday at the ministry fair are attached to one of these seven motivational gifts. And here's what I believe that we need to do as a church. We need to identify the gifts inside this church and create a platform for you to use your gift. If you have the gift of prophecy, you need to be prophesying. If you have the gift to teach, you need to teach. If you have the gift to lead, you need to lead. If you have the gift to minister, you need to minister. You need to operate inside your gift. Why? Because we're all part of one family. We all have an assignment. And it's only when we're all doing what God called and created us to do that we work well together. Churches are not effective. Let's just be honest. I'm done. Churches are not effective in this day and age. They're not. Most churches are not effective in helping their community. Most churches just got people driving in from everywhere just to have a big church service so people could wear dresses and hats and show off their new car and go home. Churches are not being effective in changing their community by taking the love of God to their community because people aren't working inside their gift. Too many people with the gift of giving, not giving. Too many people with the gift of serving, not serving. Too many people with the gift of mercy, not showing mercy. Too many people with the gift of encouragement, not encouraging anybody. If everybody in this room found out what their spiritual motivational gift was and started flowing in it, this would be the happiest place on the planet. And we would be making a change in this community so big that we would be doing what Jesus said to do. Let them see our good works, and they will glorify our Father, which is in heaven. That's why we want to do these things. That's why we want to flow in our spiritual gift. Not so we can say, look how good we are at doing what God created us to do, but so people can see us doing good things, and we can give God all the credit. I want you to find out what your motivational gift is. I want you to find out. It's one of these seven things. I promise you, right out of the Word of God, it's one of these seven things. This is what you were put on this planet to do. This is how God wired you up. This is who you really are on the inside. And we're going to show you next Sunday a ministry that you can work in that matches your motivational gift, and it's going to bring you joy, it's going to bring you peace, and it's going to bring you righteousness. Let's pray. God, thank you for your Word. God, I thank you for each person who knows what their spiritual gift is and is serving in it. God, I pray that you would help us to identify our spiritual gifts. I pray that you'd give us a desire to work for you enthusiastically, to serve you enthusiastically. God, I pray you would rid us of laziness and apathy. God, give us a passion to love you and to love each other. Father, I pray you'd give us a passion to reach the lost and to teach the saved. God, I pray that you would give us a supernatural ability to take your love to this community and show the world that you are the only true God. You are the only God who can save, heal, and deliver. You are the God who answers prayer. You are alive and well on planet Earth. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your grace. We love you, God. We bless you. We honor you today. Help us to serve you the way we should. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We truly appreciate the opportunity to pour into your lives each week. For more information or to donate to Abundant Life's ministry, please check out our website at www.alcfnow.org.